Avengers, Age of Ultron. He's garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome to Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standing Live where each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings-on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. I'm your host, Mike Cicchini, the editor-in-chief of DennyGeek.com. And with me for all time and always, if I'm lucky, I've got Denny Geek TV editor Alec Bajalin and Denny Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. And please welcome the editor-in-chief of the three-time back-to-back Eisner-winning Wawak Nola Fow. How's everybody doing today? Welcome, Nola. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to have you. We are, you're our first Eisner winner, I think. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm sorry that like of all of the available Eisner winners, you got me. No, don't don't be <laughs> like look, we we have to start somewhere, right? Like that's we true. That's to... fair. <laughs> you gotta work your way up to the real to the real famous ones what what should uh what should our audience know about uh wawak wawak is uh short for women write about comics uh but it's not just women uh we are a comics journalism site that very specifically focuses on giving voice to marginalized uh people across the gender spectrum uh so people who have otherwise not really had a place to go when it comes to talking about comics and interacting with comics and, uh, you know, writing about them, uh, we give them that place. So it's basically the opposite of the uh, intelligentsia site that was uh, that appeared on. That's true. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we will get to that. I promise. Uh, but yeah, let, let folks know. Uh, let folks know that URL as well, because I know you have a murderer's row of terrific writers over there and i think folks should be checking out whack when they can yeah that's uh it's womenwriteaboutcomics.com spelled correctly every <laughs> word in order folks uh this week we are planning to spend as much time as possible talking about bringing the x-men to the mcu uh, and as little time as we can get away with talking about this week's episode of She-Hulk, if I have anything to do with it, is everyone cool with that? Are there any other Marvel goings on that we need to hit before we dive into it today? Has there been any big Marvel news this week? Fantastic Four got some writers, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's uh, I think that qualifies. Exterminator's number one drop, which I think is a pretty solid comic. Who's the creative team on that new, uh, new Exterminators? Leah Williams is writing. Um, I for, I cannot remember about just off the top of my head right now. Is this the second volume of Exterminators since like the Hickman relaunch? No, I, so it's the uh, first? no, this is the first. This is the first. Okay, I've unfortunately lost track of the uh, of the current X Men verse, uh, and I need to get caught up so that I can so that I can read Axe properly. This uh, one is uh, it's like a very grindhouse comic with uh, Boom Boom and 
uh, Laura Kenny Wolverine and a couple other characters uh, fighting vampires and it gets wild. It's their first like, uh, I think it actually has a content warning on it. I, I'm stopping at my LCS on the way home and this is suddenly, <laughs> this is suddenly getting picked up. So before we get into the thick of it with today's show, we should just talk about our sponsor real quick. Just want to remind everybody about our sponsor, Diet Smoke. Diet Smoke is the solution to avoid those, oh no, I'm way too high moments. Uh, Diet Smoke makes Delta 8 THC, Delta 9 THC, and CBD products that are perfectly balanced. Their gummies, drinks, and vapes are not only delicious, they are guaranteed to give you that beautiful buzz you've been looking for without melting you into the couch. Diet Smoke extracts their THC and CBD from American-grown hemp, meaning they can ship directly to your door. No prescription, no sketchy weed dealer, no need to even leave the house, folks. Uh, Diet Smoke just released a bunch of new products and flavors, so no matter what type of mood you're in, they've got you covered. So if you're ready for that perfect high, head over to dietsmoke.com and use code DENOFGEEK, all caps, spelled correctly, as Nola says, for 15% off your entire purchase. Must be 21 and older to order, and please use responsibly. Honestly, I think before I dive back into the current X-Men run, I might, uh, I, I might once again sample some Diet Smoke products myself. I think this, these might be a perfect pairing. So let's talk about the X-Men, and this, this is interesting. You know, the last few episodes, when we've been diving into comic stuff, you know, I've watched Alex's eyes glaze over as the show <laughs> goes on. But fortunately, because of the, the fact that the X-Men were, you know, really the most successful comic book movie franchise of all time until the MCU came along, and because they've had multiple brilliant animated series and they achieved a kind of level of pop culture saturation that other things that we've talked about probably haven't, Alec. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you'll find my X-Men takes all that appealing anyway. <laughs> you might regret it. Oh, really? Uh-oh. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, uh, ooh, so wait. Flaccid House says Dazzler is on the Six Terminators logo? Uh, That's this? correct. Yes. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm reading this tonight. Should we start with the Fox X-Men films? Because I think they're kind of the biggest you know, the biggest elephant in the room as far as what most people are familiar with the franchise from. And also they're the, they're the hurdle that the MCU is going to have to clear. Sounds good to me because that, when I said you're going to be disappointed, what I meant was this is all I can talk about. <laughs> Wait, are you too young for X-Men, the animated series? Like, were you too young? No, for I, I was kind of the right age for that. It was nineties. Um, but I never really got into it. Like I've definitely seen an episode or two. Uh, yeah, he's, I was he's wearing likely. a football jersey. He wasn't watching X Men cartoons. I'm just getting more and more antagonistic to you nerds every week. I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna have a full football uniform on within a few weeks. Look, I've seen some episodes and it was good. But if I were to watch anything when I was younger, I would watch uh, Batman animated series. And then when I got a little older, I was more into the Spider-Man animated series. My knowledge of the animated series is really just thinking Gambit was cool. Um, and then being disappointed when he wasn't in any of the, the first two X-Men movies. Yeah, they really were like afraid of Gambit as a character in those movies, I noticed. Well, think about how insufferable 
Gambit would be in the movies if if not perfectly, perfectly cast and very carefully written. I must confess that as a teenager, I also uh, shamefully stand Gambit. He talked weird and he threw stuff. And like as a child, I don't know what else you can ask for. Well, I was I was into Anne Rice books at the time. And so like there was like that kind of New Orleans connection. And, you know, he was mysterious and, you know, like obviously he's not a vampire, but he's got that kind of like, you know, shaggy vampiric cool about him. And I was looking for something to hang my mid 90s teenage grungy moody hat on. And uh, unfortunately, it was it was Gambit's uh, occasionally creepy self. I feel like <laughs> if Gambit hasn't shown up as a vampire in one comic over the years, that seems like a missed opportunity. I would have to go back and check Curse and the Mutants to see if that happened. That's a really good question. I know that he was one of Apocalypse's horsemen. He was death for a while, which kind of counts, I guess. I don't know. I think everybody in New Orleans is an honorary vampire anyway. Right. <laughs> I can get behind that. That's the kind of generalization I can get behind. <laughs> Flaccid House just said Shaggy Vampiric Cool was my dad's 70s funk band. <laughs> um, well, it's already a chaotic episode because we're supposed to be talking about the, uh, about the Fox. Oh, yeah, I forgot movies. about that. Um, Alec, I'm going to kick this back to you and let you get first crack at this, uh, since, you know, since you suffered through weeks and weeks of incomprehensible comic book jargon from us. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And my, my, my hot take is that most X-Men movies are bad. Um, like the 2000 X-Men is kind of bad. It's, it's fine, but it's mostly bad. Um, last stand bad. Everything Every other movie aside from uh, First Class, bad. However, X-Men 2 is like a borderline masterpiece. X2 colon X-Men United is a phenomenal movie. I like I it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember loving it so much. And I think it's because um, more so than maybe any other superhero movie I've ever seen, it captures the downtime better than anything like the quiet moments between battles people just wandering around uh the mansion there's just like this there's this incredible series of scenes in it where logan is just like can't sleep and is walking around at night and he sees like uh one kid flicking through the channels with his eyes using his power and somebody else is just like posted up in the kitchen it's just like it's like the x-men after hours movie and it really is a novel approach um and even the main storyline itself is pretty cool i think we've kind of forgotten that brian cox is the main villain in this which like you know oh i haven't yeah, <laughs> nearly two decades before logan roy um so yeah my most since i was given the honor of leading off my most powerful take is that x-men 2 is like top four superhero movie ever no how about you I will agree that X2 is definitely the best of the bunch. It has a lot of my favorite scenes. Um, I think it's the one that best encapsulates the the whole conceit of the X-Men, which is, you know, that whole uh, sworn to protect a world that hates and fears them. You, you've got Stryker, who is a pastor in the comics, but he's reimagined as a, like a general in this, uh, which gives him access to like military forces. And they do that like whole 
midnight strike on the mansion and uh you know so you've got troops busting in and capturing kids and it really like it's it's worrisome and it's scary in just the right way it expands on the first movie because the first movie is really just about like seven mutants wearing leather who fight magneto but this one is really it emphasizes the way that xavier is putting time into building a community for children and it, it shows off the way that people are are arrayed against that and are trying to tear that all apart and i think that that is maybe the best like i said the best single encapsulation of the the whole x-men deal in, into a movie Kirsty, how about you? Um, yeah, putting aside, if it's physically possible to do so, the fact that, you know, most of these films have people who are allegedly terrible people as directors. Um, <laughs> you know, I think these films are... I've, I've never not enjoyed one. Uh, I watched The New Mutants recently, and that was a, it, that was a hard, a hard go, but... Um, I've, I've found them all pretty entertaining, I would say. I don't think any of them have aged particularly well oh, from no. that first batch. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> like, 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 honestly, I don't think X-Men The Last Stand is any worse than the first movie, which is, like, really heavy-handed and really, like, poorly directed and lit. And, like, every action scene feels like it takes place, like, inside like a like a cardboard box or something like you know brian singer has never ever competently directed an action sequence um x2 does hold up in a lot of ways mostly for the reasons outlined by nola and alec but like i have no desire to watch any of that trilogy again um days of future past is okay first class is pretty good but the only if i'm going to watch any of these x-men flicks it's gonna be it's gonna be Logan and you know and and it'll be Deadpool and I didn't even think New Mutants was all that bad like New Mutants like you can definitely see the like where they edited that thing with a you know with a rusty hatchet but there's the germ of something there where New Mutants was trying to do something different you know like it was trying to do its Nightmare on Elm Street three thing you know and like. I kind of could get behind that. And I kind of wish there was more than that, more of that kind of risk-taking in superhero movies in general. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I admire what it was, what it attempted to do there. Yeah. I really enjoy the way that they uh, managed to adapt an infamously racist comic book storyline in, and, yeah managed to be racist in entirely new ways in the movie. <laughs> Fair. That's, you know, I, you know, maybe I was being too charitable, Nola. Uh. <laughs> Outside of the main group movies, was it just the Wolverine movies and Deadpool? Have there been any other ones that I've missed? There, no, uh, there was that uh, when X-Men Origins Wolverine came out, they announced that they were going to do other X-Men Origins films, and then that one bombed, so they just abandoned that plan. <laughs> uh, but originally, uh, Wolverine was announced alongside an X-Men Origins Magneto movie that ended up never getting made. What's interesting, by the way, about that X-Men Origins Magneto movie, um, like a script was written, like I think it was David Goyer who might have written that, and a lot of that, a lot of the concepts in that, and I think even a couple of the scenes in that, 
ended up in X-Men First Class. I don't think it would have worked uh, on its own anyway, but they definitely were able to recycle some elements of that into, into X-Men First Class. But like talking about that transition from, you know, that awkward middle period after X-Men The Last Stand and before they kind of like soft rebooted the franchise with, you know, with X-Men First Class, we get into the issue of how these movies their timeline is as incomprehensible as like as that of the X-Men comics at that point. They couldn't quite pick a lane, you know, like first class is, I mean, in my opinion, one of the better ones. Um, but the timeline is weird. It's like, it's clearly meant to be a prequel to the first movie in a lot of ways, but then they, they quickly abandoned that because they tried to then jump ahead to the seventies with, the next film and the 90s or the, the 80s with, with X-Men Apocalypse and the less said about that, the better. But like nobody really aged and like they didn't quite, you know. <laughs> yeah, Lee's asking, you know, like how they skip 10 years of movie but no one ages. Exactly. Um, you know, and then Dark Phoenix, they I, I feel like they just kind of like abandoned that conceit entirely. It's a weird one. It's really, it's really difficult. It felt like they were trying to get somewhere with Days of Future Past. And that kind of went out the window. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this franchise anymore. The MCU needs to make a clean break. It's a it's a pretty uh, convoluted thing at this point. And uh, as much as, like Kirsten, I, I enjoyed the movies coming out. I enjoyed seeing them. Because, I mean, frankly, I'm the type of X-Men fan where I don't care how bad they are. I will watch them. My whole thing with pop culture adaptations is that I enjoy seeing where they fail as much as where they succeed. The attempt is what's interesting to me. Uh, I like seeing them try to do something and I like seeing how well it works. Um, and I like seeing what gets changed and what doesn't get changed. And like, those things are interesting to me. So I don't necessarily need a superhero movie to be good. I'm interested in it regardless because I want to see what, or I want to see how it accomplishes what it tries to accomplish. Yeah. It's just as interesting to me when something is comes out and it's messy because if there's been some ambition there to do something different, but they haven't quite made it work the whole time or uh, that it's been patchy, you know, I, that, that feels like I'll, I'll revisit stuff like that more often than stuff that is just, you know, just it's decent and it goes from A to B and it's just, it's, it's okay. Um, but I tend to, uh, yeah, definitely revisit movies that, that are messier. I also revisit a lot of movies that I just downright loathe. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> but like, if I really hate a movie, I'll watch it like 10 times and be like, why do I hate this? You know, I really <laughs> over-examine it. Uh, I think that I need some serious like, therapy, honestly. You're not, that, look, you're talking to somebody who watches the 1970s live-action Spider-Man TV series, like, for genuine pleasure often, you're talking to perhaps the only living defender of the Matt Salinger Canon Films Captain America movie. Like, so I feel you. Like, like, you know, I even like the weird Thor and Daredevil that we got in those Incredible Hulk TV movies in the 80s. Like, to me, <laughs> that is very much what Nola's talking about. Like, I am older than dirt and therefore grew up in a time when this stuff was scarce and I had to latch on and defend, you know what I mean? So now... Like, I, I have watched the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie more than I have watched 
the all three of the 20th Century Fox Fantastic Four movies combined. So like I'm I'm with you on this, but I have less patience for it and less tolerance for it when it's a big budget thing that has no reason to fail, you know? And especially when there's like weird patchy like studio noty stuff happening in it like we have with x-men the last stand and x-men dark phoenix and but, but you know i don't know i mean i get that uh i guess i guess the studio interference thing i'm interested in that too because i i'm interested in the the dynamics of how the movie gets made behind the scenes and the ways that companies will try to lean on something like that and trying to understand what their motivation is um like when I first started writing, uh, one of the first things I published on the WAC was uh, an article about an old court case between Marvel and the government uh, where they had to, they didn't have to, they, they were arguing that mutants weren't humans in direct opposition to their comics at the time because they wanted to pay less tax on imports of action figures. So what? like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's this whole thing where uh, between like the late eighties and the early two thousands dolls of humans were taxed at a higher rate than dolls of non-humans. So like monster creatures and things like that were taxed at a lower rate. And so in a bid to save money, toy biz, which Marvel was a part of Marvel at the time, because they were the same company, basically they went to court to argue that because the X-Men, because mutants had superpowers that they weren't human even though X-Men comics are at the time, you know, like the whole conceit of the X-Men is, yeah, they have powers, but they're born that way. They're just like you and me. They're still people. They still have lives. So Marvel ended up arguing against their own comics in court. Uh, and I think like Beast was one of the prime things uh, that they that they use as an example because he's just this like built large furry thing. And they were like, this is not a human. Can't You can't reasonably call this a human because he's, you know, 300 pounds and covered in blue fur. Yeah. So this was, they ended up eventually winning the case, but it took so long for them to win it that the tax code itself that they were fighting against was repealed <laughs> uh, by the time they won it. So it was a moot point. Um, but yeah, no. So like, I'm really interested in the ways that corporations and big companies mess around with their own properties in an attempt to squeeze money out of things even when those decisions are bonkers, even when they don't make sense and every fan in the world was like, what are you doing? I'm still interested in seeing those things happen because it's fascinating to me. I know we need to move on from this because like we have other points we need to hit, but I just need to backtrack for one second here. Alec, you said all these movies are terrible except for X2. Even Logan, even Deadpool, these things do, these don't move you at all? Like, <laughs> I just never got around to it. I like I have some very basic bro opinions in me, you know. It's like like yes, oh, yeah. like like the Dark Knight really is that good, and like Logan really is that good, you know. And like those are just like my most basic, boring, you know, opinions that you can get. But Logan is really good, man. Like I look, I believe you. I'm sure I have one on major criticism of Logan, and that is uh, that is how cowardly they were with the adaptations of Donald Pierce and the Reavers. I want my wild cyborg outlaws. I want my my metal limbs and my you know my my mohawk dude with tank treads instead of legs. Give me that wild stuff. Don't give me some dude wearing sunglasses and black leather. 
Fair. I guess the world wasn't ready for that. And I think everything else in the movie, like all being equal, they could have still done that. And that movie would still be considered. I mean, like that was definitely one of those movies that they presented as like, this is kind of like an elevated, you know, like, is this going to get awards consideration? Like blah, 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 blah. If they give you the Reavers that Nola wants, then this is basically the same thing. Nothing has to change, but then you get into like Fury Road levels of Gonzo. Yeah. That's how you win the awards. Yeah. It's, it's well known fact. It's well known fact that tank tread cyborgs equal Oscars. <laughs> I think they should replace the Oscar statue with one with cybernetic type tank treads. That might actually become a ceremony that I would watch. I thought Logan was okay, just okay. Am I? I think I was the only person in the world, maybe, because I've never heard someone else say Logan was just okay. It's always <laughs> like five stars, 10, 10, no notes. And I watched it. I thought oh, that's just okay. <laughs> perfectly entertaining film yeah, it's, it's fine <laughs> look the mcu is introducing mutants in a in a kind of backdoor way which i think is smart like they want the, they want to bring in the concept of mutants and mutation long before they try and give us the x-men and i think it's gonna be a long time before we even hear the words x-men uttered on screen in the mcu like i do not think we're actually going to hear this until after Secret Wars and the Kang Dynasty. I just don't see it happening uh, before phase six. But were they to do this, and when they do this, what would everybody's ideal roster look like? And how much of a break should they make from the, you know, kind of iconic expected rosters that we've seen in the previous films? Uh, I would love for it to not be about Wolverine for a change. I, I understand why they went that route. And I understand that like Wolverine is their biggest moneymaker. He's got to be there. I don't think that the movies need to be about him the way that the Fox films always were. Or if they're going to, if they're going to bring in Wolverine, um, you know, Daphne Kinney or Daphne, uh, what's her last name from Logan is a nice age to play an adult Laura Kinney these days, or like coming up on a, on young adulthood. Uh, so, you know, you've got a way to bring, to kind of bring that back uh, with the way that they seem to be sort of leaning into all Marvel properties are canon in some fashion or another. I think that they could bring her back as a more grown Laura Kinney and let her be Wolverine um, without necessarily linking the rest of it too much to the prior films. Yeah, I would like to see, it's so hard to decide because like they've tried Dark Phoenix twice and failed twice. But that remains one of the most iconic X-Men stories, the, the Phoenix Saga and the Dark Phoenix Saga. And and it's one of those things where it's like, well, do you wait for them to try it a third time and see if they can get it right this time? Or do you just put it to bed for, you know, another 10, 20 years and maybe try again the next go round? I would love to see Hellfire Club nonsense. I'd love to. I 100% agree on Logan. I, I feel like it's time to leave, you know, that version of Wolverine behind. I think that there's an opportunity for them to keep on the Fox X-Men cast or at least pick the ones that they want to bring back, like cast new X-Men that we haven't perhaps seen before, or only seen in very small portions, perhaps keep, keep on some of the bigger stars that they had. Um, it just feels right. I mean, the way that they're sort of rebooting Daredevil saying, you know, this isn't season four. And we talked about it 
uh, a while ago about you know saying that all this definitely happened we're just never going to talk about it in this new <laughs> born again show so I, I I feel like they could keep people on like maybe Fassbender and McAvoy and bring back Evan Peters as Quicksilver if they wanted um they, 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 these are all people that I think would return to the roles and certainly have returned to the roles, you know, in films that weren't terrific. So, yeah, why not? I mean, just just reimagine it with what you have and then just cast new characters to join them. And that, that sounds pretty good to me, actually. Alec, Galax, like Gambit, Gambit, Gambit. <laughs> Gambit, 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 Gambit. Um, I, I empathize uh with your guys' approach to to Wolverine, but I you have to imagine that including Wolverine is non-negotiable for Disney. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what I said. Like it's it, yeah. he, he's going to be there. I would just like the movies to not be a, like about him. I can't so I can't really speak to like you know deep cut X-Men characters I'd really like to see. Uh however, uh Lee in the comments mentioning phase seven through nine should be the mutant saga. Yes. Like a lot of sense to me. Yeah, um, and let that culminate in the Dark Phoenix saga, like like make basically make Gene evolve into the big bad of, or even yeah. like I mean, well that I mean that'd be a big swing, um, and I'm sure MCU could pull it off. But I was thinking something even on like a smaller scale than that. The the big culmination of um, Phase Nine or maybe Phase Seven or Phase Nine, whatever, could be the X Men movie, and then the big the heavy hitters are just seeded in with their own films or as supporting characters and other Marvel character films um, prior to that. And then our big team-up effort, as opposed to being an Avengers outing, will be an X-Men outing um, come the end of seven, eight, or nine. That's like kind of the first time that approach has made sense to me now, just thinking about it now since Lee threw it out there. I feel like they should go with that way as to who they should include, like who has the enough gravitas to, to headline their own Marvel film. The list is probably... Wolverine, Xavier, Magneto, Storm. I would say Cyclops, but I just have a soft spot for James Marsden. And then, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the rest you could just kind of seed in and out of all the other films. So that's my take. Well, and Cyclops, like before the rise of like Wolverine as the omnipresent mutant that everyone loves, Cyclops was considered by at least by like Marvel editorial at the time to be the lead character of the ensemble, which is why so many of the stories are about, him. you know, uh, you've got so much to do with him and his romance with Gene and, you know, and then Gene's death and his new wife and uh, his whole thing about the Summers family. Like so much of it centers around Cyclops because he was their lead character like that's that's what they considered their their lead before like uh the rise of Wolverine in the late 80s to, to early 90s really eclipsed that. So like there's a lot of meat for movies right there just by drawing on Cyclops's messy, messy history. <laughs> Give me Inferno. Wow, that's what yeah. I want. Give me Scott leaving his wife to reunite with his high school girlfriend and then his wife causing uh hellish takeover of new york <laughs> give me that wolverine is coming we're getting wolverine in these movies like that's like saying that's like saying that warner brothers isn't going to put batman in dc movies you know what i mean but wolverine should be introduced elsewhere in the mcu 
like, and not even as, as a mutant initially. They should treat this character as somebody that we know nothing about, you know, because the beauty of Wolverine and the thing that made Wolverine so popular in the comics initially was that this was a mysterious character with a shadowy past and, you know, who, you know, carries six knives at all times. I would love to see Wolverine as a shield agent, you know, like Wolverine as somebody operating in the shadows of, you know, the, the kind of world that the Falcon and Winter Soldier took place in, you know, I think that's the place to introduce a character like Wolverine, whether you make him, you know, again, Alpha Flight, like the MCU is in need of more secret organizations, you know what I mean? Like, so do we bring in Alpha Flight as some Canadian answer to S.H.I.E.L.D. and this is their, you know, this is their Wetworks guy? Like, great, but like, treat this character as somebody that we know nothing about and, you know, hint that he ran missions in World War II with Cap and Bucky, you know? I, like, I think that's the way to kind of seed this guy in long before we try and shoehorn him into the X-Men. And look, Xavier and Cyclops are kind of non-negotiable, right? But introduce these characters, introduce them as supporting characters, you know, like make Xavier the face of this movement and Cyclops is this mysterious, like scary bodyguard he's got at all times. And it sets up- I like that. Yeah, you know, like I kind of like the idea of make Scott Xavier's muscle at first, you know, and then two things have to happen there. Either Scott has to step into the spotlight as- you know, the mutant who kind of has to be perfect as the face of this movement, despite the fact that he's an imperfect character and or he becomes fully radicalized, as we've seen happen in recent comics as well. Like, I think there's a lot of places they can go with these characters that the Fox movies never touched. And that, you know, frankly, even like great stuff like the like the 90s animated series never touched. Yeah, I think the key is they just have to not fall into... Well, we have to have, you know, we have to tease the Dark Phoenix saga. We have to do this. We have to do that. It's like, you can do all of these things. And I am absolutely convinced that if they're going to ever attempt Phoenix again, it's got to be, it's got to be a phase. It's got to be two phases. It's got to be the kind of thing. And we have to be so attached to Gene that that turn is heartbreaking. But did they already do this with Wanda? I want to say no. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of what they tried to do with Wanda didn't really work. I do like that Wanda's arc became about grief over loss, because I think that that's a much better interpretation of her struggles than the way the comics originally did it, uh, which was just you know oh powerful woman crazy, uh, which is not a thing that we need more of. Going back to what you're saying about Wolverine though, uh, I like it's a perfect way to seed him by just adapting. Uh, the way that he appeared in the comics like send him after hulk it's good cinema it's it, it's a good nod to the origins it it introduces the character it's it's fun people want to see that fight anyway make it happen i'd like to see the cast of legion back actually yeah <laughs> just like you know gene smart and shimmering clement just strolling into the mc i mean just that works for me you know what? I mean, like, look, we know that certain elements of these movies have to kind of make it into this because Deadpool is coming. You know, like we know mm -hmm. that Deadpool is coming. So if Deadpool, Deadpool is, is coming, inevitable. Yeah. Like, why not Legion? Like if those two things, if some combination of those two things formed the basis of 
the MCU's X-Men, you know, background, because nothing that happens in those shows has to have happened in another universe. There's nothing that happened in Legion or in Deadpool that we can't just say was happening in the background of, you know, of, of the MCU, right? Like, you know, yeah, bring Josh Brolin back as Cable. Like these, are the, I can see this. And that's kind of like the aesthetic and the casting that I would love to see more of. More love for Legion, please. If they're going to do everything that, you know, we want, like this kind of cautious approach to introducing X-Men, like a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm just thinking of what a what like a contractual negotiation nightmare it must be for <laughs> Disney. Like, like because I mean, like they, you just spent you know trillions of dollars on Fox with the intention of bringing X Men in, and then you have to explain to some agent that you want their client to just like I'll do a guest spot here and a guest spot there. They're like he's playing Wolverine, dude. Like, yeah. like <laughs> you're not going to pay him like twenty million dollars to like, headline a movie. Like, you know, we've talked a little bit about the stories that we don't want to see again. And again, Alex, sorry, Alex already like checking out. Uh, and and Kirsty, I don't know, I don't know how deep your X-Men comics knowledge is, but Nola, you you certainly have read your share from what I could tell. If there is one X-Men story from any era that you think would work either as a film or as like the subject of a phase, as we discussed before. What do you think it should be? I want the absolute family drama mess of Inferno. I want Mr. Sinister. I want Maddie Pryor. I want, uh, you know, Limbo Invasion. I want all of it. Uh, it is, like I said, it's a story about Scott Summers uh, leaving his wife because his high school sweetheart is back among the living and he wants to go play superhero with her. His wife gets... Like it turns out all of this other things, like all this other stuff is going on. She turns out to be a clone of Gene that Mr. Sinister was using specifically to get to Cyclops because he's got this weird obsession with Cyclops's like genetic heritage and and his DNA. Um, and she's actually Cable's mom. So like they've already introduced Cable. And if they bring Joshua Lynn back, this is a perfect opportunity to, to introduce the story of Madeline Pryor. And I would love to see kind of, that story play out and i would love to see maddie get her due finally because i am one of those people who will relentlessly evangelize for how madeline Pryor was treated in the comics and how she continues to be treated do we think that the sort of hox pox and post hox pox sort of era of x-men can work in the mcu i think that it can work um i think i, I actually think that they're better than even odds of Hawksbox being the area that they go with just so the, just in order to do something that is different from prior movies. Hawksbox is a really interesting experiment for me because it's people people are reading it like it's meant to be some sort of utopia and it kind of is but at the same time the story is about how the mutants fail at trying to achieve what they're doing. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand that in the reading. It's meant to be messy and they're meant to try things that make them look bad and don't quite work because they have to figure out how to do these things as people. They have to get to a point where they do the right thing because there's no good story in just doing the right thing from the start. That's, that's, that's boring. So I think Hawksbox is possible. 
Um, I think it'll be very stripped down if they do it. I think it'll be mm-hmm. a lot of uh, beautiful visual scenery involving Krakoan portals. Yes. And maybe a lot less of the, the politics and everything involved. But I would love to see those politics. I would love to see all that. <laughs> yeah. But I know what you mean. There's no chance. But yeah. yeah, they're too afraid of it. Is the MCU too afraid of the politics of the X-Men in general? I think the MCU is too afraid of the politics of Marvel Comics in general. Hmm. Um, I think the MCU runs extremely conservative in comparison to the comics uh, because you've got that huge, huge militaristic uh, shield bent that uh, colored the tone of this first several phases. You know, it's important to remember that uh, in the comics, shield was not originally this omnipresent entity that was treated as like the good guys. They were viewed as uh, suspicious and shady, and they were presented as as much of a problem as anything else. You know, Nick Fury was a great like wartime hero, but then like he he transitioned from being a World War II soldier into being this like massive super spy. And I think we live in an age where we have glorified the idea of the super spy so much that we forget that they are agents of of state. They're generally out there committing something just short of war crimes, if not actual war crimes. I think that the movies in general uh, have forgotten a lot of the very, very mistrusting liberal bent of the original Marvel comics. I agree. I agree. You know, this has been such a thoughtful, stimulating conversation that it's a shame that we also have to talk (laughs) about this week's episode of (laughs) She-Hulk. So, Kirsty. Why don't you tell us what happened on this week's She-Hulk? Okay. In She-Hulk episode six, Jen is a bridesmaid at an old friend's wedding, but is constantly demeaned during the proceedings as even though she's experienced huge changes in her life, it's ingrained that the only thing that matters is that she's still single. Titania then shows up at the wedding, spoiling for a fight, and Jen eventually relents and kicks her ass as She-Hulk. Meanwhile, back at the law firm, Nikki and Mallory try to wrangle a healthy settlement for the ex-partners of Mr. Immortal, who would rather kill himself repeatedly than face any sort of confrontation. It sounds like uh, quite a lot of guys I know, honestly. But um, anyway, in the final moments of the episode, it appears that some bad people who hate She-Hulk have formulated another plan to steal her blood. That's it for this week's episode of Marvel Stand Up, folks. <laughs> Nola, you may or may not know that um, we've been a little lukewarm on this show, often kind of split down the middle as like from episode to episode about whether we like that week or not. What did you think of what, what do you think of the show overall? But what do you think about this episode, too? Uh, my opinion of the show overall is that it is capital F fine. It's just fine. It, it's it's there. Uh, it's, you know, sure, if you're going to adapt She-Hulk, sure, okay, this is what you did. Cool. Uh, I got better things to do with my time. Um, I have been watching every episode um, because, I'm like I said, I'm interested in how things fail. Every episode at least has one little scene that I wish that there was more of, one little scene that I genuinely enjoyed. Um, in this one, it's none of it is the She-Hulk wedding stuff. None of it. I do like the Mr. Immortal B-plot. I do like the way that that plays out. But mostly I like the way 
I forget the name of the the other lawyer that Mallory you know, I think Kristen is helping. I really appreciate the way that like she is set up as this hyper competent, hyper professional, cold person, and it's very easy to fall in, fall into the trap of making her some some sort of antagonist because of that. Um, as we see with female characters so very often. Um, and instead having her warm up to Jen's friend, who also name I can't remember. This is just a thing with me today. Don't ask me the name of anyone. I've never seen or met anyone in my life. I really enjoyed the fact that that was a bonding experience for them. I really enjoyed the fact that they warmed up to each other and were, you know, sort of developing friendships by the end. That's the kind of stuff I like to see because that has been such an uncommon thing in, in film and TV. So often you've got male writers behind the scene who are pitting women against each other. I like to see a departure from that. Yeah, I don't know that I needed much else of the rest of that episode. Alec, I know better than to ask Kirsty. Alec, what about you? How <laughs> <laughs> come Kirsty's excused? Um, yeah. We'll get some me, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I have a feeling I like this episode more than uh, Kirsty or Mike did but it was also pretty lifeless. One thing that I'm always defending this show for is uh, its use of TV tropes and how it really likes to indulge them. Uh, but when I talk about it, it also kind of should go without saying that it has to be good too. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the, the case with this episode where you know, Lord knows I love me a surprise wedding episode of anything. And Jen, even when she breaks the fourth wall, says like, surprise, we're doing a wedding. And like that, the concept of that is charming mid-season. Just like to, you know, we the last thing we saw last week was a daredevil helmet. And now it's almost like where the audience is being trolled. Uh, with just this weird little light and breezy um, wedding sojourn, which I, I appreciate in theory. It just also has to be good. And this one's not particularly good. Uh, it's not very original, not particularly funny. Jonathan's perfect. Wouldn't change a thing. Um, episode needed more of him. Okay, but like, can we can we circle? Let's let, We can tie this back to X-Men, actually, because Jonathan is the name of the actual Wolverine that is the pet of Laura Kinney Wolverine in the comics. So Whoa. I feel like I feel like we've stolen the original Jonathan's thunder now by introducing <laughs> Jonathan the I don't know what is he a Chinese crested is he a chihuahua something he's in a there. Crusty dog. He's a he's a little doggy. Perhaps Jonathan is another is a <laughs> yet yet another seed of the future X Men movie coming. The hidden X Men Easter egg in this week's episode <laughs> of She Hulk, courtesy of Nola Fowl from Wawak. You heard it here first on Marvel Standing, folks. Most this is this is the most interesting combo about She Hulk. She's not wrong, Kirsty. Dare I ask? No. Um, well, Mike, I can tell you that I sat down on the sofa this morning and I watched this episode of She-Hulk through to its conclusion. I considered walking straight into the sea, but instead <laughs> I had a bagel with cream cheese and I sat in the sunshine just thinking about life and the universe. Uh, my resolve was to continue making good choices and supporting those I love. What I can say for sure is that this was an episode of television. It was indeed an episode of television. Nola, Thank what you, you said about this. Thank you for asking. 
<laughs> I have to be so careful because I don't want to sound like one of the, the screaming man babies, which I did laugh at, uh, because I'm afraid that critiquing this episode too harshly is going to make me sound like somebody who belongs on the Intelligentsia website. Um, <laughs> but Nola, what you said about this show being like fine, almost every week after I finish an episode of She-Hulk, because Kirstie's in the UK and watches these before I wake up. And like every morning, I'm like, well, that was a perfectly adequate 30 minutes of television. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, I just couldn't get behind it. Um, the intelligentsia reveal is cool. I love tying them to exactly the kind of people on the internet who uh, are disliking this show for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, um, timely too, with everything that's going on with the Kiwi farms thing right now, like the intelligence. Oh, wow. Very timely. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. And that sets up some real, you know, uh, I mean, I think, look, does anybody have any doubt left in their mind at all that the baddie behind everything on this show is the leader? I mean, it, like, is it even worth debating this at this point? It's maybe the one thing I've been hoping for from this show. Um, and ever since, you know, Abomination started showing up again, the leader thread from Incredible Hulk is the only thing from that movie that I really enjoyed and was hoping would get followed up on. Because... Um, I am not. I am not a defender of the Ever Norton Hulk. Are you a defender of Ang Lee's Hulk? Because that's uh, been a point am, on this show several times. I am an ardent defender of Ang Lee's Hulk. I adore yes! this movie. I will watch it <laughs> over and over again. I have written about it. It is, to my mind, the best single adaptation of the Hulk and possibly one of the best single superhero movies that has been made. Wow. I should have talked about that the whole time. Yes. I mean, do you want to have an episode about, about the Angling Hulk? You can invite me back and I will happily do so. Oh, it's on. It's absolutely- We might have to because I feel like this keeps coming up and I'm the one who feels like the alien every time because I just okay. don't get it with that movie. And It's okay. You're this- allowed to be wrong. Yeah, there's this whole movement around that movie now. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I want to like... I, I want my eyes to be opened. You know, I would rather feel differently. So help me out here. It's one of the only movies that really leans into trying to adapt comic books as a form uh, with all the, yes. with the way the panel wipes and the cuts work. Like it's about the, the politics of rage is the way that I like to say it. There are scenes that do not hold up well, like the mutant dogs and things like that. But it's, it's a movie about what it means to feel rage and what it means when rage overtakes you and you can't control that. It's far more thoughtful about those things than I think anyone expected from a superhero movie. Uh, is there anything else about this week's episode of She-Hulk that we feel is really important to hit? I think this week wastes Patty Harrison, which I did not think it was possible to do. I think she's one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. And she has like seven lines that are completely lifeless. It also wastes Patty Guggenheim because where is Madison? That's what I'm asking in every scene in She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> Madison is on screen. All the other characters should be asking, where's where is Madison? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for this week's Marvel Standem. Thank you so much to our special guest, Nola Fowl. Nola, hey, thanks for having me. Anytime, please come back. Um, Angley Hulk or no Angley Hulk, just come join us again. Why in your mind, everybody, where they can check out your work? Yeah, uh, you can find us at womenwriteaboutcomics.com. Once again, spelled correctly. 
no Z's or anything like that in there. You can find me online at Nola Fowl on just about every social media platform. Do not try to explain comics to me ever. Warning noted. Yes. <laughs> there was an understated menace to that, that I have to really appreciate that I, I would aspire to, but I'm way too boisterous to be able to like <laughs> deliver implicit threats that way. Folks, make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you are watching or listening right now. For those of you who only listen to us via podcast, you should know that we actually do these shows live on Twitch every Thursday, more or less. Come see us live on Twitch. We're at twitch.tv slash TV. I know I just said every Thursday, this may come as a surprise to some folks, notably our producer. I don't know if we're actually going to be on next Thursday. Uh, we might be taking a break next week. Our schedule is going to be a little goofy for the next couple of weeks because of uh, some other stuff going on at Denny Geek. And then new york comic-con but if you think that i'm gonna miss a chance to talk about werewolf by night think again so if we are off next week don't worry we'll be back for the werewolf by night special by hook by crook by claw by snout like i will be there uh where was i oh yeah don't forget to check out our web home of denigeek.com where you can find all our marvel coverage go straight to denigeek.com slash marvel where you can see kirsty and a whole murderer's row of talented writers giving you the most in-depth analysis of the MCU and Marvel comics you can hope for, maybe other than what you would find on WAC. Let's be real. <laughs> Drop us a line. <laughs> Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. You can do that by following Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Give those a follow, please. Don't forget, we also have a DC show. Check out DC Standom when you can on all major podcast platforms. And if you came in late today, You'll be able to watch this entire episode on denigeek.com or at our YouTube home, Denigeek US, which I need to change. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. You know how it is. Thank you once again to our special guest, Nola Fow. Thanks to Andrew Howley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thank you to Denigeek's social media coordinator, Lee Parm, for keeping everybody in line in the comments, but you guys have been really well behaved. Like, you gotta give this kid some work to do. Like, you're all too polite. But for real, we're so happy that you're all watching. Thank you so much. Go follow our TikTok at TV. Lee is doing great work over there. And a special shout to Michael R. He makes the podcast version of this show all it can be. But most of all, thank each and every one of you for watching, listening, following, and subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.